admit it, your toe started to tap. And it's one of those songs that you wish we could just let play in its entirety. As we go back 45 years ago. No, wait a minute. I got to add 10 more years to that. 55 years ago today. It was on this day, February the 15th, 19. 69, that Sly and the Family Stone began a four-week run at number one with everyday people. It was their first number one, and as they say, that's not all. Billboard magazine would later declare this song, Everyday People, the fifth best song of the entire year, 1969. Sly and the Family Stone's message was about peace and equality through music and dare i say 55 years later that message still resonates today which is why i would absolutely love it if we could just play the song in its entirety and then maybe play it again and again and again after that peace and equality through music everyday people the first number one for sly and the family stone starting its run at number one for four weeks on this February the 15th back in 1969. Hey, we're in 2024. It is February the 15th, a Thursday, the day after Valentine's Day. Hope you had a great day yesterday. Hope your day is off to a terrific start. It is seven minutes after nine. And I know the question you've been asking yourself. You've been asking yourself why? Why have I not yet taken down the Christmas lights? Wait, are you telling me it's just me? So you're telling me there's a chance? Come on, you haven't taken them down yet either, have you? I remember the joy that the Christmas lights brought during a rather gloomy December and January. Remember January? 17 total hours of sunshine, (laughs) about one-fifth the usual total of 80 hours that we get in the month of January. I kept those suckers illuminated through most of the month. I even shared pictures on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell show, of the lights that were still glowing in the neighborhood sometime in and around mid-January because they just brought a little bit more joy lifted one's spirits in a rather dreary month. It happened to be a particularly mild January evening, I recall. And nonetheless, I looked at it when I got home from work yesterday and I thought, why? Why have I not taken advantage of these past two to three weeks and taken down the Christmas lights? They are an interesting chore, aren't they? And I'm a big fan. They've done a lot for me this year. I like to brighten up those dark, long winter nights but we get up there in november maybe even october it was november this year particularly mild i remember almost 10 degrees got outside got the lights strung and now they still stay strong they're not turned on but they still stay strong i should have taken them down by now if you didn't know a little bit of snow coming but let's get into that with your farwell show five for this morning Number one on your Farwell Show 5 for this Thursday, the 15th of February. More than 20 people have been injured 
and one person killed during a Super Bowl celebration parade in Kansas City. That's what happens with guns. I won't get in a big debate right now. I think we're still doing an investigation. But, I mean, what you saw happen was why people talk about guns a lot. We had over 800 officers there, staffed, situated all around Union Station today. We had security in in any number of places, eyes on top of buildings and beyond. And there still is a risk to people. And I think that's something that all of us who are our parents, who are just regular people living each day, have to decide what we wish to do about it. Parades, rallies, schools, movies, it seems like almost nothing is safe. That is Kansas City Mayor Quinton Lucas. And those are some pretty chilling words. Parades, rallies, schools, movies. It seems like almost nothing is safe. Number two on your Farwell Show 5 this morning, the Frederick Street Bridge in Kitchener is getting an overhaul. On February 28th, we're going to be going to market for those who can build the bridge. Uh, the bridge will accommodate the increased traffic that will support the expanded lanes and also allow for pedestrian and cyclist traffic uh, through the uh, bridges. That is Ontario's Transportation Minister, Prabhmeet Singh Sarkaria, who says the bridge improvements are part of the plans for an expanded Highway 7 between Kitchener and Guelph. Number three on your Farwell Show 5 this morning. The president of Conestoga College has engaged in a war of words with the president of Sioux College. David Orazietti, head of Sioux College, called Conestoga College a, quote, bad actor for allowing so many international students into the school. Conestoga president John Tibbetts fired back this week saying... Orazietti needs to learn to, quote, shut his mouth and called Orazietti a whore for accepting international students at a Sioux College satellite campus in Toronto. Number four on your Farwell Show 5 this morning, Guelph Council has deferred a decision on a new public space bylaw that aimed to deal with a growing problem of encampments in the city. The three things were basically, one is you can't camp in these certain places at all, especially with sensitive areas or competing public spaces for other uses. The second area of the bylaw would have attended to, you can't camp there all the time, but you would be allowed to camp there overnight, set up an hour before sunset. You had to be gone an hour by sunrise. And then the third part of the bylaw proposed was you could actually camp if you wanted to basically at any of these tons of places across the city and you would never be bothered. You could stay there. That's Guelph Mayor Cam Guthrie. You may have noticed he was talking in the past tense about the bylaw that had been proposed. It was voted down 9-3 or at least the decision to defer discussion on the bylaw until a court ruling on a similar bylaw in Kingston comes down. In the meantime, Guelph will collect data on its homeless population and appeal to upper levels of government for supports. And number five on your Farwell Show, five this Thursday morning. It's nice now, but it will get a little nastier later today with seven to ten centimeters of snow expected for the afternoon commute. It is 9.13. There is a little bit to unpack on a couple of stories in here. We'll begin with the alleged expansion of Highway 7 coming up. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570.
I got thoughts, you know. Thoughts on all kinds of things. But I know you do too. And that's why we keep our phone lines and other means of communication open on the phone or open on the show at all times. The moment we begin, phone lines open. 519-570-2545. Star 570 and 1-800-570-5715. You can also use email anytime, mike at 570news.com. Even if you're going to rub it in like Jocelyn did with an email saying, Happy Thursday from Jamaica and a picture of something that looks absolutely spectacular. The scenery that is in Jamaica. Jocelyn, Gary, thanks for listening online from wherever you are. Again, the email is mike at 570news.com. Facebook, The Mike Farwell Show, and Twitter or X, Instagram, at Farwell underscore WR. Let's go to the phones. Jersey Bill is with us. Hey, Billy. Yeah, well, you know, that uh, that hits me again. The shooting in Kansas City, for sure. Yes, and, uh, you know, uh, the thought just just struck me, you know, the, the only the only fatality was a was a a, a female Latina display, and that just you know and and also all those kids that were there and you have to think you know could it happen here I mean just let's just say that the um, the Rangers win the Memorial Cup you know and you could say well you know uh, the guns aren't as prevalent here as there but you just had that incident in Waterloo where um, two people had a dispute and one person knifed another person so. Uh, this this violence is, is not is not limited to the U.S. So I must say, my wife and I are planning a trip down to Arkansas to see one of her sisters, and she's already on edge about these kind of things and doesn't even like traveling to the U.S. because you don't know what what kind of random violence you may face. Um, and and what just I have to just say, it's really really sad that in the United States we seem to have one party now which is totally dedicated to chaos. This has gone beyond ideology. They want chaos. They want. They don't want to do anything because they think it will politically advantage them. And it is. It took about political malpractice. This. This is just. This is almost politi- politically criminal that they wouldn't pass any of that kind of legislation to make things better because they want to advantage themselves at the ballot box. I hope that the voters realize what they're trying to do and and uh, do the right thing and punish them instead of reward them for their ridiculous non-actions on everything from gun control to the border to everything else. Billy, I appreciate the call. Uh, comparing or suggesting that something similar could happen during a Memorial Cup celebration in Kitchener, when that occurs again, is a bridge too far for me. And I don't want to even really go too far down that road. However, I will certainly agree with and i understand the concern when you talk about fatal stabbings in uptown waterloo that we just announced an arrest in earlier this week etc we have seen increases in violence our morning news with mark douglas and christine clark was talking about comments from CSIS and increasing threats to the 2s lgbtq plus community following that stabbing at the university of waterloo last year we could cite any number of examples i think but Again, I will say, and you can call me naive, but it's a bridge too far for me to suggest that something similar could happen during a Memorial Cup celebration here. But I guess we are beginning to understand that anything can happen. I will tell you quickly what I am confident will not happen, and that is the expansion and the seven interchanges that would come with said expansion 
of Highway 7 between Kitchener and Guelph. I know there was an announcement in Kitchener yesterday, and it came with much fanfare, and all of the politicians were saying all of the political things that you would expect them to say and celebrating this idea that the upgrades to widening of the Frederick Street Bridge in Kitchener is somehow going to move us forward on the expanded Highway 7. It's not. And this is a narrative that bothers me a little bit. Sure, long-term, the improved expanded bridge on Frederick Street would be a part, would, I want to emphasize, be a part of an expanded Highway 7. But all we know is that the bridge project will be put out for tender later this month. That's all we know. They haven't even set a start date for construction on the bridge upgrade, much less any further steps down the road, literally, to widen Highway 7 between Kitchener and Guelph. So enough with the nonsense, please. The announcement we got yesterday had pretty much nothing to do with an expanded Highway 7. The announcement yesterday is that the city of Kitchener is going to get a nice new bridge on Frederick Street. End of story. We'll get back to more calls right after this. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Just about 9.27, few minutes away from your update in the City News Centre. And then, why have people in an apartment building in Kitchener been handed eviction notices we'll talk more about that right now it's back to the phones to say good morning to paul hello paul how you doing i'm okay thank you how are you uh still vertical listen your uh, your last rant you know that, that sounds like the basis of a bet but i think we'd both be betting on the same thing <laughs> yeah highway seven the the road to nowhere and neverland yeah. yeah. Listen, the, uh, a while back, a couple of months back, we established the fact that although you can't at Cambridge City Hall, you can say fart on the radio. You can. I do allow it, yes. Acceptable term. Okay, and pissed off as well. The, but WTF. Oh, you're going to go there because I want to go there today too. <laughs> We have established that you can say, where's the funds in the, in the Canadian Parliament? WTF. And they all started chanting, where's the funds? Where's the funds? I give a lot of points, Paul, for the clever nature. But I would have preferred, this is just me. I, I'm maybe a little bit sensitive, but I would just have preferred, in, in the interests of decorum and civility, that after dropping the WTF, Mr. Poiliev had immediately said, where's the funds, as opposed to leaving it hanging in the air, because when we say WTF, we all go to a certain place, don't we? <laughs> we do. Yeah. But, hey, there was uh, other, some other chanting going on. <clears throat> I watched Question Period, of course, uh, Kind of a regular thing. There was a lot of other chanting going on that uh, they cut off. But uh, you asked, you know, you made some suggestion. Why don't I run for politics? We all know why. But uh, yeah, you're unelectable. I, that's why. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would be pushing every opportunity, such as suggesting that maybe Pierre should call the fire department because there seems to be smoke coming from his posterior. Maybe his pants are on fire. I would be pushing the envelope every chance I got. 
the uh, but <laughs> it was so funny when they all started chanting, "Where's the funds? Where's the funds?" I, I, okay, all right, uh, liberal, Paul, liberal, Bo- liberal I, Bob, come on out and tell us where's the funds. Thank you, Paul. If if I don't get moving, they're going to ask me where's the news. If you don't know the Pierre Polyev story, we will be sharing the audio during the show today. I do think we tend to, to get our chaps chafed at the slightest issue these days. Like, we, we need to relax, take breaths a little bit. But again, given the leadership position, and this is a leader amongst leaders, right? We could argue that all of our elected officials are leaders in their communities. This is the leader of the federal conservative party. It was a very clever turn of phrase, but instead of sharing exactly what he meant by WTF in our house of commons, the hallowed halls, he just left the WTF hanging was chastised by the speaker and then reminded us, Oh no, it means this. Where's the funds? We'll play the full audio at some point during the show today. I promise you that. Just another reason to stick around. Right now, it's off to the City News Centre for an update. And then why are tenants in Kitchener being asked to leave their apartments? This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News. You may recall a couple of weeks ago now, it was right after 9 o'clock, we had just started the show, and we got a phone call from a lovely lady by the name of Gail, and Gail informed us that she lived at 250 Frederick Street in Kitchener, pretty tall tower, white building near the corner of Frederick in Lancaster, and Gail told us that she was worried about being evicted from her apartment where she had lived for more than a decade because a new owner now had their hands on the building. Jackie Wells joins me in studio. Jackie is with ACORN here in the region of Waterloo. ACORN is an organization of low and moderate income people who stand up for those who are in danger of being evicted. Jackie, thank you very much for making time and joining us in studio. Thank you for having me. You also live at 250 Frederick Street. Yeah. Have you also been issued a letter for eviction? Uh, no, personally, I have not been issued that letter. Um, but I've heard a number of the people in the building um, have been targeted. Um, a number of them are elderly. Um, I've been contacted by uh, new Canadians, people who aren't fluent in English, who aren't aware of their rights. Um disabled people, people who live with um, their aging parents who have nowhere else to go, who can pay their current rent-controlled amount of rent, and their only thing that they've ever done wrong is lived in the same place for too long in a rent-controlled apartment, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, Some people have actually lived in that building since it was constructed in 1969. And... um, as I said, like the only thing they've done wrong is lived in the same place for too long. And uh, yeah, so we're very concerned about the impact that this is having, obviously, on people's lives, on the communities, um, the destabilization that this creates for um, not only the individuals, but just the community fabric as a whole. Um, 
probably all in the in the motivation of profit. Um, we've seen this landlord, this new owner, um, do this in multiple cities, Hamilton, Toronto, London, now Kitchener. And um, yeah, and they just keep doing it over and over again. And currently, unfortunately, our provincial laws that are meant to protect tenants from these situations known as rent evictions aren't well enforced by the landlord and tenant board. So, you know, the landlord currently does not have to actually prove that there's anything necessitating a rent eviction. Um, in this case, they say it's a plumbing issue. I've been in contact with the prior superintendent of the building who has informed me that there's actually no plumbing issues. They've been on top of the plumbing issues um, for years as a person that's lived in the building for 11 years. Um, I also know this. And um, currently, there's no protections for tenants against a bad faith landlord who just on their own merit can say, we have plumbing issues. We have issues necessitating you to leave your apartment. So there's no you know, burden of proof on the landlord to evict people who, as I said, have done nothing wrong except lived in the same place for too long in a rent-controlled apartment. And you and I were talking during the news update, Jackie, that you... You had a sense that mm-hmm. this was going to be the outcome when this building changed hands because of the history of this particular property owner. Yeah, and I don't know if I can name them by name. Um, sure you can. Michael Klein. Um, he is the one who's rooted in all of this, and he actually names every single property after... Like, it's very easy to know their properties because they uncreatively name them after the address. So in this case, it's 250 Frederick Apartments. There are apartments in Toronto. There's the Webster Street apartments in London. A lot of them have been locally covered by their local news, amazingly, um, so that people are aware of what's going on in their communities. But we still see this going on and on with impunity. And uh, my understanding is it's his son, Shia Klein, that now owns the, the this company. Um, but as I said, these bad practices continue. And the reason why I kind of had a sense, even before I knew who the landlord was, was because I've actually, you know, read multiple articles, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize that I was reading articles in the Hamilton Spectator, in the London Free Press, in the Toronto Star, of these types of things going on by the same owner. And I actually had no idea that it was this person doing this, who by coincidence actually bought our building. So unfortunately, uh, we were ripe for the picking because the company that owned this, it was a local property management company, Grand River Properties. They've owned multiple properties in the city, as well as in Stratford and Woodstock and other areas, Guelph. Um, But they dissolved the company. The owners uh, retired. And so all the properties were sold off piecemeal. And unfortunately, our property was bought by by this bad faith landlord. What recourse is there, if any? I mean, obviously... You've reached out to other tenants in this building to offer support and help. You're coming forward as a spokesperson here. But short of this or beyond this, what else can you do? do is there any recourse for these renters who are facing possible eviction? Um, so again, we do have laws in Ontario um, that are supposed to protect people. Um, corporations are supposed, to, like corporate landlords, are can be fined, I believe, up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars for not honoring the right of first refusal. So these tenants, by law, are entitled to the right of first refusal, which means they can come back to their units after they're renovated at the same rent. However, um, my understanding is um, the landlord did issue um, these notices and and say to people that you can come back, you can have your right of first refusal. 
Um, but the problem is that the loophole is that these tenants, if they leave under the pretense that they have the right of first refusal, there's really nothing stopping the landlord from actually advertising the renovated units, renting them out to new tenants at jacked up market rents, which in many cases are well over $1,000 more in rent per month than they are currently being rented for to the current tenants. And they can do that and get away with it because once the old tenant who wants to their right of first refusal comes back, they if there's already a new tenant there, the the landlord cannot legally evict that new tenant. So you have the old tenant who is paying, you know, maybe $900 a month for their two-bedroom apartment um, has no right back to their unit, even though legally they are allowed that right. Um, there are cer- ways that um, bad faith landlords try to circumvent the laws and get new tenants in at current market rates, which again, displace people. So, I mean, I know that there are people in the building who are seniors on fixed incomes, low-income families, single mothers, uh, new Canadians who probably um, cannot afford the rents that have been skyrocketing in this region and in this province and quite frankly across the country in the last five to eight years. And as a result, I mean, I, I unfortunately believe that some of these people are facing the prospect of becoming homeless. I'm sure you know that a recent bylaw in Hamilton against rent evictions has been passed. Is it the municipality that could step up here politically to support? Is this a provincial issue? I think it involves all levels of government. And, you know, if anybody who's read or heard anything about the right to housing or the housing crisis in any capacity has probably heard the experts say this takes a coordinated effort by all levels of government. Um, We've had our federal government divest from social housing and affordable housing since like 1995, which has created this crisis over the last 30 years. We have provincial governments that unfortunately... In, the, in our case, it's Doug Ford's government. Um, they talk the talk. They talk about protecting tenants' rights. But what we've seen, unfortunately, is tenants' rights be repealed. Um, for example, when the Liberal government was in power, they did extend rent control to all properties, all rental properties. But when Doug Ford's government came into place, they repealed that so that any new development after 2018 is not rent controlled. So we hear a lot of rhetoric about build, build, build more units, but all the units that are being built today are not going to be subject to rent control under the current provincial laws. So we do need stronger rent protections, because at least until we can sufficiently supply enough affordable housing. We need uh, full rent control so that people between tenancies um, will still have an affordable unit. Because right now, if you get your current tenants out, you can jack up the rent. So that's called vacancy decontrol which incentivizes landlords to do these types of things like run evict their current tenants. And is, as I said, creating displacement, um, dissolving community fabric and the social fabric, especially since a lot of people cannot afford to purchase homes. So we see an increasingly amount of our citizens needing to rent. So increasingly, this will be something that affects more and more people. Um, Now, and lastly, the municipal government can certainly introduce stronger uh, rental protections for tenants. We have seen this in Hamilton, as you noted. Um, my understanding is in West, New Westminster, BC, they also have a strong um, tenant protection laws against rent evictions, which have subsequently been um, spread to the whole province because it was 
um, so effective. And so we're really hoping um, with the help of uh, organizations like ACORN, which are member funded, so they're not a government organization, they're funded by by the members. Um, We are hoping that ACORN and other uh, like-minded groups can continue to advocate for stronger rental protections for tenants, specifically um, in the local municipality, so in Waterloo Region. We really want to push a rental uh, protection bylaw whereby um, landlords require um, stronger evidence to renovate tenants. So, for example, in Hamilton, they actually need a qualified professional to sign off on the fact that you actually need to do this work, that it is necessary, and that it is necessitating an actual eviction. And the landlords will be required to uh, find um, housing for the tenants that they displace and they have to pay for it or pay the difference in terms of the market rent versus what the current rent is. That's my understanding of the Hamilton bylaw. But basically, uh, my message is we need all levels of government to coordinate to to fix this crisis. And specifically with Waterloo Region, we have the capacity to introduce stronger rental bylaws and rent eviction bylaws that will help protect tenants. This is a growing community. Um, and as I said, increasingly, I think we're going to see more and more people Uh, needing to rent in this housing market, considering how unaffordable housing is to purchase now. And we have a lot of new Canadians uh, coming to this community um, who probably aren't going to be buying a house outright. And so if we want this community to thrive and continue to have um, a cohesive social fabric, we really need to support renters. Jackie, who knew being a tenant in a building on Frederick Street in Kitchener could lead you uh, so deeply into advocating for tenants' rights. But I appreciate you doing that and making the time for the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity. Jackie Wells plays a lead role with Acorn here in Waterloo Region, also a tenant at 250 Frederick Street, a building that's been sold, and a number of residents handed eviction notices. We'll take your calls after this. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Specifically with Waterloo Region, we have the capacity to introduce stronger rental bylaws and rent eviction bylaws that will help protect tenants. This is a growing community. And so if we want this community to thrive and continue to have um, a cohesive social fabric, we really need to support renters. Well said by Jackie Wells, who plays a lead role with ACORN here in Waterloo Region and is a tenant at 250 Frederick Street, a building just purchased and several residents being issued eviction notices as a result. Let's get to the phones here from you. Nick, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Just good. gearing up for the snow coming in. Oh, you and me both, brother. You and me both. Um, you know, I just I wanted to to comment about uh, the, the, the rental protection, the tenant protection conversation that you just had. And... I, I think that there is a need for that type of protection, but I think that there needs to be some sort of consideration on the other side for landlords. Um, I think there are a lot of bad actors out there, but you know, what about the landlords that have people that are squatting that can't get people out? So I think there needs to be a two-way conversation about you know increasing those tenant protections, but also giving some leeway to some of the landlords that are you know struggling and not making any income because we have people that aren't you know paying their monthly bills nick i think it's a great point and i'm glad you raised it i've heard a lot of quite frankly horror stories 
to that end, and I do not disagree. I think Jackie's story and what we've seen play out in so many places really forces us to take seriously issues around tenants' rights. But Nick is right. In so doing, we have to be also cognizant that some landlords get absolutely screwed by people who take advantage of the system. We need to have a balance here. But right now, certainly, in the case of these renovations, etc., this is really harmful to tenants. And as you heard Jackie say, rips apart the fabric of a community. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Just over a minute away from our update in the City News Center. Uh, let's get back to the phones. Mary, I'm sorry we're short on time, but I wanted to hear from you on this. Okay, yes, I'll be quick. Um, uh, kudos to Hamilton. I think that's marvelous. Uh, I would have expected a call uh, such as Nick said. Uh, that's a large building. And I'll bet you dollar to donuts, I know you like them, or tarts, um, Nobody in there is not paying their rent. So where are these old people? How can they possibly over 80 live in a tent? I think, I think we have to step up in this region or this city and give them some protection. I think you're absolutely right, Mary, and I appreciate it. I think renovation bylaws, uh, bylaws against renovations are a good idea. And just to be clear, I don't think Nick was alluding to any problems specific to that building on Frederick Street, but just generally. And we shared the story. I remember it was a story that a woman in St. Catharines who had owned a home as an investment rental property and ended up losing everything because she had a tenant for who almost two years didn't pay a nickel. And it turned out that this person was going from place to place doing that very thing and had lived rent-free for years by taking advantage of the difficulties evicting her. So there is work to do on that side of the ledger as well. But I'm with you, Mary. I think here in the region of Waterloo, we can come up with something similar to Hamilton. This is the Mike Farwell Show. What's a ghost bike ride? We talk about it next on City News 570. There is a memorial ghost ride by bicycle this evening in Kitchener. What the heck is a memorial ghost ride? Well, you've come to the right place to find out as we are joined by Janice Jim, who's the vice president of Cycle Waterloo Region. Janice, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for making the time. What is a memorial ghost ride? Uh, So the ghost bike was started uh, by a group of cyclists in Toronto uh, as a memorial to uh, people who have been killed on the streets. Uh, So it's basically a a bicycle that's been uh, stripped down and painted white. uh, And then they have a special ride to, uh, you know, honor the person who was killed. Uh, So they uh, people get together for a group ride and bring the bike and install it on like a street post or a lamppost. Uh, and then there's a little memorial dedicated to the person who died. So, like, the flowers, some candles, and a, a little plaque. So it's a, it's a sad, sad occasion. 
And on this occasion, it is remembering a 66-year-old man who was killed while riding his bicycle about a week ago now in Kitchener. Will this ghost bike be left somewhere along Victoria Street there near where this collision occurred to remember that cyclist? Uh, Yeah, we're going to try to find a suitable spot. Uh, It's usually like a utility pole that's not in the way or blocking anything and then then chain the bike up uh, to it. What is the the route that the ghost ride tonight will follow? Uh, We're just going to start from uh, Kitchener City Hall because that's like a central meeting point for everyone. And then we're going to roll down Victoria uh, in a group, you know, uh, ride safely with with lots of lights because by 7 o'clock it's going to be dark. And Victoria is not, you know, obviously the safest street to be biking on. And then we'll uh, bike down to the the cross, uh, cross street where the incident happened. So you're starting at 7 from Kitchener City Hall and working your way up Victoria Street? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think, I, think, I think down, it's, uh, I'm not sure it's up or down. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> I call the, everything up, you're two, right. <laughs> right, towards, uh, towards the Canadian Tire and uh, Harvey and the Bread Factory, to give some people some geographic references. Gotcha, for sure. Okay, so let's talk generally, Janice, because you mentioned the, the group that will, that will be taking part in this memorial ride tonight will be well lit because obviously at seven o'clock at this time of year it will be dark victoria street absolutely a busy street takes somebody with a little bit more nerve i think to be out there on a bicycle generally speaking when you look around this region how are we doing when it comes to accommodating cyclists with safe infrastructure uh i think we're we're, we're doing good and we're getting better um but there's still problem areas that exist uh, like, City of Waterloo is rated gold uh, by um, the Ontario standards for uh, cycling infrastructure. Uh, City of Kitchener is silver. Um, there's lots more uh, multi-use uh, paths uh, built already, and there's lots more coming. Uh, separated multi-use uh, two-way bike lanes are like the gold standard uh, that people want um, because biking uh, paints is not infrastructure. Uh, those green, you know, paint on the ground does not do anything uh, for safety, and it's actually really dangerous. So that's that's the future that we're looking looking for. Now, in light of this really unfortunate incident, where this 66 year old man was killed while riding his bicycle, I don't want to diminish the tragedy in any way. But when it comes to the safety. What role does the person operating the bicycle have in all of this? Because Victoria Street does have a multi-use trail down both sides of it. And in this particular case, the individual on the bicycle was crossing four lanes of traffic. Well, I haven't gotten the details of exactly what the incident was. Uh, just from reading all the comments on the social posts that the, the multi-use trails on Victoria are po- problematic, even though they are really nice, nicely paved, nicely painted, flat is because drivers coming in and out of the strip mall businesses don't look they turn without looking and they don't expect a pedestrian or cyclist so a lot of the incidents are close calls from people making left turns or right turns out of uh driveways uh you know victoria it happens all the time Uh, people are trying to come out of their driveway they're only looking to uh for the cars and they're not looking out for pedestrians or cyclists and um you know that's when the incidents happen uh, I think as cyclists, I mean, you want to protect yourself. So th- definitely, you know, lights 
uh, reflective gear, uh, things like that. Make sure your bike is in good working condition. And just be aware of where you're riding. Like if I'm riding Victoria, I would say that my spidey sense is high. Like I'm not going full speed because I know the problems. I know that, you know, someone coming out of Harvey's with their food is not going to be looking for me. They're good. They're going to just go look for cars, look to get onto the street and not look for me. And I'm going to, I'm the one that's going to be injured because I'm the one, you know, that's a vulnerable road user. And while that is fair to acknowledge, I think we also have to send a message. And I'm one that drives mostly walks as a secondary means of transportation Two different experiences for sure, but I'll be the first to admit that when you're inside that vehicle, you tend to get into that little bit of a bubble. You've got your radio on, whatever it might be, but you feel rather insulated from the outside world. What would your message be, Janice, to people who primarily drive cars? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not an us versus them situation because a lot of people I know, they bike and drive, right? Uh, so just think of people on the road, they're, they're your family, they're your, your kids, they're your friends, they're your neighbors. Uh, you know, just, just think about how you would feel if, if uh, you, you hit somebody. Um, yeah, I understand, like, being insulated in a bubble, that definitely that ha- happens. Um, you know, just, I mean, just think about what, what you would feel uh, about your distracted driving causing, you know, death or injury to somebody. And, and a lot of these injuries are, like, serious, permanent you know, lifelong injuries uh, because the cars that we drive nowadays are, are heavier and heavier. And uh, there's a new study just got released that the, the hoods of the cars are, of SUVs are so much higher now. So the higher the hood, the percentage of injury uh, stats goes up. So I think it was, uh, you know, 20 centimeters equals 20% more like, likely to have serious injuries. So, you could look around, like, look how many SUVs there are. Like, ev- basically everyone's driving an SUV nowadays. So that's one of the reasons of, you know, higher injury and uh, death rates. Uh, this incident, the person was hit by an SUV. Janice, I appreciate you making time for the show today. Ride safe tonight, and thanks for being here. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to say uh, thank you to all the local support that we have. Uh, Colleen, uh, Councilor Colleen James and then uh, biking lawyer uh, Dave is coming out. Uh, and I got a great community of support. Uh, so hopefully we honor this person's uh, tragedy. Thank you again for being here, Janice. All right. Thanks a lot for having me. Janice Jim is the vice president of Cycle Waterloo Region. They will be leading a memorial ghost ride tonight, starting at Kitchener City Hall at 7 p.m. and working their way along. I'll go with along. I always say up. Janice probably was right when she said down Victoria Street. Regardless, you know what we mean. King to Victoria and then Victoria out towards Guelph. How about that? The Highway 7 that will never be expanded to tie it into something we talked about earlier. It is a ride in memory of the 66-year-old man who was killed the other week while riding his bike on Victoria Street. A a, a street, by the way, which does have multi-use trails on it to make it Safer, But still, unfortunately, we end up with situations like this. Quick point on the SUVs and the size of vehicles today. It has come to my attention that I think we should have a special license for driving larger vehicles these days. I Nothing chafes my chaps more. I saw somebody in a parking lot the other day basically having to do a three-point turn just to get out of their parking spot because their vehicle was so large. I... 
they are a special class unto themselves. These massive pickup trucks, these massive F- SUVs, I do not understand them for the life of me. I'll just park that over there. When it comes to what this memorial ride reminds us of, I really like what Janice said when she said, it's not an us versus them. There's no war on the car. There's no war between people who drive and people who ride bicycles. There's none of that. There is just a growing number of people who share space on the roads every day. It could be while driving a car. It could be while riding a bicycle. It could be while on an e-scooter. It could be while walking. Take your pick. We are all sharing the same space. And there are so many of us that there's less space than there used to be. How do you approach your time on the road today? However it is you spend that time, whether you're driving, riding a bicycle, on an e-scooter, walking, how do you approach your commute? Let's just call it that. Would love to hear the way you navigate things so you're not either the person running into somebody else or worse, being the person run into by somebody else. Let's hear from you on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570 and Rogers TV. It's not an us versus them situation because a lot of people I know, they bike and drive, right? So just think of people on the road. They're your family. They're your kids. They're your friends. They're your neighbors. You know, just just think about how you would feel if you hit somebody. I can't even imagine. And, you know, when stories, the likes of which we reported a week or so ago, 66-year-old man on a bicycle on Victoria Street North, killed in a collision with the driver of an SUV. And that stays in the back of my mind still to this day. It'll go away until the next story we have to report on because, you know, that's how things tend to work. But when I'm driving, especially through these ding-dang roundabouts on Iron Needles, and I'm always looking left to watch for oncoming traffic, I'm reminding myself, hang on, what if somebody's crossing as a pedestrian from the right? And I know we should move pedestrian crossings outside of the roundabout. I don't like where they are, but I can't change that overnight. So it's my job as the person driving that vehicle to make sure as I'm going through the roundabout, it is safe for me to advance my vehicle. That was Janice Jim, whose voice you just heard, the vice president of Cycle Waterloo Region. They will be leading a memorial ghost ride tonight from Kitchener City Hall starting at 7 So roughly just after the snow comes to an end today, and we're expecting a fairly significant amount of snow, Uh, they'll be going from Kitchener City Hall and then to Victoria Street and along to the place where this 66-year-old cyclist was killed the other week. And somewhere in that area, they will leave behind the ghost bike, which is white. It will be affixed to a utility pole. Somewhere they can find a spot as a memorial to this gentleman. And this is where we're at right now when it comes to the number of users on our roads and the number of different ways people are using those roads. I've seen the little two-wheeled e-scooters that you ride on almost like a, I call them like a glorified skateboard, right? Skateboard with handles on it to the 
e-bikes and and the ones I don't even know what we call them that look like motorcycles that freak me right the heck out but they're usually riding because they're supposed to be capped at 30 kilometers per hour I think some of them go a lot faster here's the thing and I said this before the break with so many people using the roads in so many ways we're a growing community there's more people that we are being asked to share space with on a daily basis and that's a good thing it makes for a vibrant place to live but we have to be aware of our surroundings at all times you can't just walk out your front door pop in your earbuds put your nose in your phone and decide that you're going to be able to get where you're going without ever taking in the world around you and that goes for every single mode of transportation that you're using right heck i would love it if we could find a way just to focus on the task at hand without the phone being a part of it. I read a poll from uh, CAA the other day that 80% of drivers in Ontario still admit to driving distracted. What are you doing? One of the most important things you can do behind the wheel of a vehicle is navigate the roads safely. That's definitely not a place you should be looking at your phone. But guess what? Shouldn't do it while you're driving, uh, riding a bicycle. Shouldn't do it while you're walking. Just enjoy the world. There's a whole big wide world out there beyond that two-inch screen. So we heard Janice mention that in the conversation. There's a role for all of us to play in increasing road safety. If we use the roads the way they are designed to be used, we're going to have much better outcomes. And if it's one thing I can promise you, as I've mentioned in the past, it is this. If you leave yourself plenty of time, if you follow speed limits and don't go places in such an all-fired hurry... It's a life changer. It just makes the drive so much better. If you're running late, that's a you problem, not the problem of the person who might be riding a bicycle that gets hit by you because you're in such a hurry. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Just ahead of an update from the City News Center, let's go back to the phones here from Dave this morning. Morning, Dave. Morning, Mike. How you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, just out on the roads right now. Uh, I tuned into your show here, so I was like, ah, geez, like what you were saying there really hit uh, hit a tone there. It was good, like with, uh, you know, people rushing and, like, <laughs> people are tailgating like crazy. It's driving me nuts. I drive for work. Uh, I got to keep my speed down, Right. And then all of a sudden you see some guy coming up in the express lane, you know, you're trying to pass a truck or whatever, and they come flying up behind you and tailgate you. But anyways, it's just happening everywhere. You know, again, like um, people that are late, you know, it's not my fault that you're late. Again, exactly what you said there. Um, and, and you were kind of talking about bike lanes before, right? That's the, I just tuned in. So you're talking about bike lanes, right? Yeah, because there's bike, a memorial like bike ride tonight for a gentleman who oh, was yeah. killed while riding his bike the other week. Oh, very good. Okay. Yeah. Um, but no, like in, in Kitchener, I do like what they're doing. Uh, I was born and raised in Kitchener. It's nice that they're doing the bike lanes and stuff like that. Uh, I do see a lot of people on their phones and biking as well, too. So as you were saying, uh, I do drive around a lot. So I do see people doing that. It's really, you know, sometimes when I'm turning left or right or people just go right across the road and they're looking at their phones around an e-scooter. So I just want people to be safe out there and you know, refrain from speeding and tailgating just make things uh, a little bit safer out there. So, yeah. 
So it just you really hit a tone with uh, that last statement there before the break. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate the call, and I appreciate you staying safe out there on the roads. It's true. If you're running late, it's a you problem. Don't make it everybody else's problem. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. YW Kitchener-Waterloo is about to introduce a speaker series that will provide us the reminder that we can choose change. Liz Montero is the manager of advocacy and communications at YWKW and joins us for a conversation. Liz, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Glad to hear that. Where does the inspiration for the speaker series come from? What's the idea behind it? Yeah, so the speaker series is focusing on gender equity. So the challenges and hurdles that women face, along with the positive change that women are making in the community. So that's really the premise of our speaker series. And so women choosing change, um, that's part of our vision and our mission. And so we dubbed our series that. And um, so it, it begins next Wednesday uh, on February 21st, and it spans over four months. So we have eight different sessions, and it ends on May 29th. And they're going to be held at the Kitchener Public Library over the lunch hour uh, at the Main Branch Theatre, and one session is being held virtually. Would we be giving away too many trade secrets if we got an idea of who might be presenting at various uh, sessions? Oh, no, no, of course not. I think that's (laughs) important for people to know who they're going to be listening to. So some of the topics include housing and women's homelessness, um, and on those panels, you know, we have uh, people who um, are frontline housing workers, a woman with lived experience, a local university professor who's studying, is, uh, studying housing instability. Uh, other discussions include women in executive leadership. Uh, we have a panel with female emergency responders, so the deputy chief from WRPS, uh, a local firefighter and a paramedic. Um, and then we have some individual speakers. Uh, the former championship boxer Mandy Bijol, the founder of For All Ice Cream. And I'll be speaking with Fazia Mazar. She's the executive director of the Coalition of Muslim Women of Kitchener-Waterloo and how this devastating crash altered her life. So that's a, a personal story as well. Inspirational to boot. Yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah. When, when, when you have the founder of uh, For All Ice Cream on, Liz, can we get ice cream at the session? Just asking for a friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, well, she's in, in March, so that might actually be nice. So maybe, maybe some ice cream. <laughs> what are you hoping that this speaker series will accomplish? Well, we're exploring how gender plays a role in, in uh, people's lives and how, you know, many of our speakers are working or making change in traditionally male-dominated fields. So we believe these stories uh, from women and gender-diverse people will resonate with our audience. I mean, they're speaking to resilience. They're speaking to power structures and how women must break barriers as they make change. So, and this really fits in with our mission statement and who we are at the YW. As you mentioned, this all kicks off six days from now, next Wednesday, the 21st of February, noon until one at the main branch of the Kitchener Public Library. Where can we learn more, get tickets, and participate in this? Of course, of course. Our first speaker is uh, Dorothy uh, Niambi from the Mennonite Economic Development Associates. So, yeah, she'll be kicking off our series. And you can go to our website, so ywkw.ca, 
and under the events tab you can register and we're so we're selling a ticket package which includes all eight sessions and there'll be some light snacks and that is $65 so and you can register and then attend all the sessions um, at the library ywkw.ca the website things kick off next february speaking of choosing change liz how do you like it over there on the other side is there is there life on the other side of print media yeah. Indeed, indeed. It's, it's, uh, it is quite different. Um, but, you know, I'm working for an agency that's doing really good work in the community. And, you know, I'm making a difference every day. And, I mean, I used to write about agencies such as this. And, and um, I mean, it, is, it is sitting on the other side for sure. But um, I'm learning uh, so much and I'm, I get a lot of support here. So, um, but it is really a, a different journey, to be honest. And um, there's adjustment, of course. But um, I'm, I'm learning lots and I'm really enjoying it. I've always enjoyed your work. I'm really glad to have you on the show today. Uh, let's make it a regular thing, okay? Reach out yeah. anytime and we'll have these conversations. Okay, thanks so much, Mike. Thanks, Liz. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Liz Montero is the Advocacy and Communications Manager with YW Kitchener-Waterloo. If the name sounds familiar, it's because of the byline. <laughs> Liz was uh, a longtime writer with the Waterloo Regional Record. Uh, now, of course that manager of advocacy and communications at YWKW. The upcoming speaker series under the banner Choosing Change kicks off next Wednesday, the 21st of February. Main branch of the Kitchener Public Library from noon until 1. And the speaker that will uh, lead it all off is a black female leader, Dorothy Niambi, who's with the Mennonite Economic Development Associates. Uh, She is the CEO there. Tickets for all eight sessions, just 65 bucks. That includes a light snack. You can learn more at ywkw.ca. From one speaker series to another, let's talk sports and really the evolution of a long-standing association in our community. We'll have that conversation next. Stay with us on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Well, this must be my lucky day because a moment ago I got to speak with a woman whose work I long admired with the Waterloo Region record in Liz Montero, who's now with YW Kitchener Waterloo. And now sitting across from me in studio is a fellow that I don't know how you've managed to wear all the hats you have, John Thompson, over your life here in this community. A tireless volunteer, to say the very least, and uh, now associated with something called Let's Talk Sports. But first and foremost... Good morning. It's always great to see you. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate the opportunity to be here and uh, share this uh, news about what we think is a pretty exciting program. Uh, this kind of comes in the uh, with the sunsetting of Kitchener Sports Association. I think many people in the community are aware that uh, this is, after 80 years, the uh, sunset, the uh, final uh, year for the Kitchener Sports Association. And uh, um, we mourn the death, but we're going to celebrate the 80-year legacy, and there will be more details on that later this year. So maybe this becomes a little bit of KSA 2.0? Yeah, to put it in techie terms, uh, (laughs) that would be uh, wonderful. Uh, uh, For many, many years, I know when I first joined KSA in the uh, mid-60s or mid-70s when I was working with the Kitchener Rangers, Norm Foss invited me to come up for a a dinner meeting and there'd be an interesting speaker. And uh, 
So, boy, that's almost half a century ago, and I've attended many, many interesting, informative, and uh, fun dinner meetings with Kitchener Sports Association. Sadly, when COVID came along, uh, that kind of put a little bit of a knife into the uh, uh, fate of those dinners, and um, uh, it was tough resurrecting them. People were uh, a little... uh, cautious about going out and sharing dinner at that time so that took a year or two out of uh, the wind out of our sails and then just with other uh, changes with KSA specifically around succession planning for leadership we can get lots of volunteers for events if there's a Canadian national softball championship I'm sure we'll have lots of uh, volunteers uh, for uh, events like that but uh, for the more important part of or the required part of uh, governance with the not-for-profit corporations act etc and doing things right uh, we've always been transparent we've always been honest but uh, we have to be uh, even more honest and display that through um, you know reporting to the government etc so sunset ksa 80 years and what does ksa 2.0 look like well to replace those uh, dinners we've come up with a luncheon series called let's talk sports is this kind of like because I, I remember I'm thinking back on Clint Malarchuk being one of mm-hmm. those KSA speakers sometime back, and they there have been a, a long list over the decades really yes. of these speakers. Is this kind of taking one of those elements that the KSA was doing so well and and the value it provided and making sure at least that part is maintained? Well, yes. We in addition to having something that's uh, social in nature, where we can get together. Uh, share a pint, talk sports, it's great to learn a little bit too. And in the case of our first speaker, we I'll be honest, we uh, timed our first uh, luncheons so that we could get who we thought was one of the best speakers and uh, highest profile celebrities at, at this point in time in the community. And that is, and you know him very well, so... <laughs> <laughs> the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers, UC Ahokas. Yeah, so Monday, March 4th, we're going to have a luncheon, the first uh, in a series of quarterly luncheons. And uh, it's not going to be always on a Monday. Uh, that's just when UC happens to be uh, available that day. And uh, what a kickoff to talk about, uh, you know, his uh, experience with Team Finland and the success they had at the World Juniors, his uh, pro experience with, I think, four different countries, Germany, Switzerland, Finland, and Sweden uh, in Europe. And uh, the awards he's won over there are just amazing. Congratulations, a tip of the fedora to the Kitchener Rangers for bringing us the first European coach to the Canadian Hockey League. Yeah, as a head coach, and he is something else. You'll have to listen attentively, John, because he has got a very sharp wit, and I'm sure Mm -hmm. you'll be having the (laughs) occasional uh, chuckle or two during UC's talk on March the 4th. So how are you going to keep the community apprised of speakers coming up in the Let's Talk Sports series. Well, we're, uh, I'm begrudgingly getting involved in social media. We're getting, <laughs> we've got some good people helping us out there, but uh, uh, I'm still kind of an email guy, and uh, a program such as this, this is sort of the official public announcement of this. Uh, we uh, put a media release out earlier this week. Thanks for responding, Mike, and having me on the program today. But yeah, it'll be word of mouth. Uh, we have modest aspirations for attendance for our first one, but it's going to be good with UC there, and uh, we'll follow that up uh, on a quarterly basis with other topics that might include, uh, hey, how about those Panthers and those Cuban players? What an interesting uh, uh, luncheon that could be to find out how uh, the Panthers uh, have been able to recruit these great players out of out of Cuba. Uh, Canadian fastball championships are going to be here the next two summers. Uh, we've got some world-class boxers in the community, and uh, 
we were hosting Special Olympics this summer. There's four or five topics right there. We don't have enough meetings for all those topics, <laughs> so somehow we'll uh, we'll squeeze them in. You're going to stick to the Edelweiss as a location? Well, no, we're not at the Edelweiss. We're at the um, um, Bin Navy Club oh. on uh, Weber Street in Waterloo. We uh, KSA for many years was at the Edelweiss, but with the demise of the dinners as they uh, came along, uh, uh, we've had to, oh, we're actually, you know, it might not always be a luncheon. Maybe sometime it's going to be at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, come out and, uh, uh, you know, um, have your beverage, but uh, no food included. So we're going to get feedback from the people come out for the first one uh, and uh, go from there. So it's uh, Monday, March 4th. 12 o'clock, doors open, 1145, Katie Navy Club, 315 Weber Street North, right across from Good Life uh, uh, um, Squash Club. Yeah, um, and the Glenbrier Home Hardware. Is and the Glenbrier Home Hardware, yes. And yeah. a, a good friend of ours, Gary Doyle, is going mm-hmm. to be there as your moderator MC. We... Um, it's always it's interesting to have a speaker, okay, and then you're really relying on the speaker to carry the day. I've been to a couple of events in the last uh, year or so, most notably <clears throat> when the Panthers had Rob Thompson here, uh, manager of the Philly uh, Philadelphia Phillies, and they had Jamie, Jamie Campbell come in and serve as a moderator and uh, more or less sit down and have a conversation with the celebrity. So we're envisioning that uh, UC will have a conversation with uh, Gary Doyle, who knows a lot about junior hockey and is uh, just a, a true professional in every sense of the uh, of the word in helping to make that program just uh, bring out some things that maybe ordinarily wouldn't come out. Uh, uh, Mike, your opinion on that as having a a host or a moderator or a conversation? What do you think of that idea? I don't think you could have gotten anybody better than mm-hmm. Gary Doyle for that. I think it's terrific. And yeah, I think it really adds mm-hmm. a nice dynamic to the speaker series, for I sure. I think it helps the speaker, too. It relaxes him a little bit, and I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Gary and you see uh, connect through email or something prior to or a phone call, just so they're both on the same page, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful event. So uh, it's open to the public. People at work, just take your lunch that day on Monday and come to the KW Navy Club. Before I let you go, John, I'm just mm-hmm. reflecting on you know what you had said earlier about having been working with the Kitchener Rangers all those decades ago. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about this Let's Talk Sports speaker series mm-hmm. and the number of topics that you don't think you even have meetings for already this mm-hmm. year. What is it about sports that enriches a community, that makes a speaker series like this worthwhile? I think in this case... Probably our demographics is going to be a little bit more of people who have reached that stage in their life, a demographic maybe uh, myself and a little bit younger where they reflect on the old days and try to uh, uh, make a comparison to the new days. The Rangers have this huge, tremendous tradition here in the community since 1963, several Memorial Cups, hosting Memorial Cups, etc., uh, this is a good segue. Wouldn't it be great if we could go to a Memorial Cup in the next couple of years? Wouldn't it be even better if we hosted one in the next three or six years? So uh, I think the, the the community looks forward to high-profile things such as this, and uh, everybody loves the Rangers, 7,000 there every Friday night. Absolutely. Well, I know if we do host <clears throat> another, I'll be seeing a lot of you like I did back in 08 when last we hosted a Memorial mm-hmm. Cup in Kitchener, for mm-hmm. sure. John, I love the initiative. Uh, Great start with UC Hocus and and a moderator like Gary Doyle. Thanks for making time to come in today. Okay, thank you very much, Mike. Much appreciated. Thank you. Any time at all. John Thompson is a long-serving volunteer with the Kitchener Sports Association, which is being sunsetted, and KSA 2.0, Let's Talk Sports. He continues to volunteer in that capacity. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV.
Well, it is Thursday morning and the day after Valentine's Day. On Thursdays at 11.30, so about half hour from now, we always have a little bit of fun with the flip side. And because yesterday was Valentine's Day, and I, of course, got spoiled in the usual ways with all of the chocolate and all of the sweet things, because, you know, the chocolate and the sweet things are my absolutely favorite things. And it got me thinking back on a conversation we just kind of randomly had on the show a couple weeks back about my favorite chocolate bar and how disappointed I was at the cost of it. And and somebody told me where I could get it for less money. And uh, I went there and it was it was not there. And I was very upset. I was very upset because I wanted my $1.29 chocolate bar. Anyway, more on that. We will talk about, though, the ultimate, the favorite. Can I say candy bar or is that too American? Anyway, that's on the flip side in about 30 minutes time. Right now, it's off to the City News Centre for an update. And then, are Uber drivers and other ride-sharing drivers working in legislated poverty? Let's talk about it on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570 and Rogers TV. Full disclosure, I'm just going to say it. I've never taken an Uber. Oh, wait. No, that's not true. I got into one that somebody else had hailed. But I'm so old-fashioned that I still, if I ever need a ride, and I don't have a friend that's willing to give it to me, the ride, that is. My friends give it to me all the time. Uh, I call cabs. Anyway, that's just me. I know, obviously, that these ride-sharing services are incredibly popular. However, those who provide said service... They're gig workers, they're contract workers, and they say they are being legislated into poverty. Erla Phillips is a ride-hail driver, pardon me, and also the vice president of the Rideshare Drivers Association of Ontario. And Erla Phillips joins our show. Erla, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your time, because time, after all, is very valuable. And I'm, I'm curious, Erla, because... The rideshare companies say that drivers are making more than $33 an hour. The rideshare drivers themselves say, no, we're making about $6.37 an hour. Why the big difference between the two figures? The big difference is that Uber uses what they call engaged time. So engaged time is only the time that a customer is sitting in our car. And... I mean, it's very possible that you could get a customer paying $33 for a car, for a ride. It, it, it absolutely does happen. The problem is that um, due to the way, you know, Uber operates, we have so many drivers out there that drivers are spending upwards of four, five, six hours in many cases, especially here, um, where they're waiting. They've dedicated their time. They're sitting waiting for rides. And they're not getting very many. And so when you, um, you know, slice down that based on the time that they're spending waiting for rides, it becomes less. The other thing is that in an hour or, or an engaged hour, it, it just takes hours to get there. You know what I mean? So, oh, let me give you an example, okay? So we had a driver share a screenshot with us. We've been collecting them. We've got hundreds and hundreds of them now. 
and a driver got a ride here in the city of Toronto, four and a half kilometers, stuck in congested traffic. It's horrible here. Um, and they spent um, just uh, three minutes short of an hour. They got paid 10 bucks. Where's the $33? It's not happening. The other thing, too, is that, you know, if you spend an hour on the road, uh, the city of Toronto says that only 40% of your time is spent engaged. Cut that down and then cut the expenses that it takes to operate a vehicle to provide the service. And that's where we're seeing drivers anywhere from a range of six and change per hour up to about 10 and change per hour. So there are fluctuations and there are times of day or uh, times of the year where that can skyrocket, but it's not consistent. What is it, Erla, that drivers are asking for? I know there was a protest and a strike yesterday to draw more attention to this. What is it that rideshare drivers would like to accomplish here? Well, you know what? We want some fair pay. Uh, By the time we take our expenses out, we are well below minimum wage. Um, We have no rights. Drivers get deactivated on a whim for false complaints all the time. And then there there is no transparency about it. There's no investigations. Um, There's no transparency over, you know, working with Uber's chosen um, advocacy, um, which is UFCW, um, and their track record is abysmal. Only 400 plus, almost 500 drivers have been reactivated in a two-year period. There's no, you know, it's such um, a a lopsided system. And, you know, drivers depend on the income, whether you're part-time or whether you're a full-timer. The vast majority of our workers are newcomers, people of color, other marginalized groups like women and international students and seniors, um, depending on the income, for whatever reason. Um, And you know what? We're providing a valuable service. We were deemed as essential workers in the city of Toronto and many cities like Kitchener-Waterloo. They are city-regulated workers. They shouldn't be making less than minimum wage. Do workers, Erla operate for just one ride-sharing service, or might they be working for multiple apps at the same time? Uh, there, there are many drivers that work for multiple apps, but given uh, if they were given the opportunity to work for one and they could sustain a, a level of income that was above minimum wage or at minimum wage, they would choose to operate for one, but they can't. So many of them end up working for multiple apps. It also depends on where those workers are located because, for instance, Lyft is not in every city. Uber's not in every city. So I guess one of the big questions is, especially in light of the job action, if you will, yesterday, why do the job at all, Erla? Why do the job at all? You know what, we have, as I said, many of our workers are in in marginalized groups of people. Newcomers often can't even get a full-time job. Um, You know, that uh, so that they can at least attempt to to support themselves or their families. And there are many other people like moms, single moms. They need the flexibility to be able to go and get their kids at a moment notice. 
There are other workers like myself and a number of drivers that I know of. We are older workers. We get discriminated on job interviews all the time. <laughs> you know, many people are, are unable to either work a traditional job with a set schedule or they can't find a job with a set schedule. Um, and so, you know, these are often, for many people, one of the only choices that they have. Erla, I really appreciate you making time for the show today. Good luck in your fight. Thank you so much. Erla Phillips joining us. She's a ride hail driver and she's the vice president of the Rideshare Drivers Association of Ontario. Rideshare drivers say they're working in legislated poverty. The editorial cartoon in today's Waterloo Region record told the story in a rather interesting fashion. If you can work with me as I try to describe the image, two gentlemen dressed up like uh, the Monopoly guy. I should know his name. It's escaping me. But you know the guy on the Monopoly, the the mascot, essentially. Uh, They're dressed in their suits and their top hats, and the driver of the vehicle is trying to put a massive bank bank bag you know the big bank bags that you see in cartoons he's trying to stuff it into the trunk but the big bank bag is way too big and it says profits on it and the one man says remember we're going straight to the bank and the other man says no we're taking our take us to the bank no we're taking this guy to the cleaners in other words the profiteering going on from uber and lyft and the rest is being done on the backs of drivers who are being taken to the cleaners. I don't know if that was a great description of the cartoon. Maybe you should just check out the cartoon for yourself. But anyway, uh, I've got a little bit of experience in this regard, it occurs to me, from jobs I've done in the past. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. Are rideshare drivers working in legislated poverty? How do we square this circle? This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. The vast majority of our workers are newcomers, other marginalized groups like women and international students and seniors, depending on the income, for whatever reason. And you know what? We're providing a valuable service. We were deemed as essential workers in the city of Toronto and many cities like Kitchener-Waterloo. They are city-regulated workers. They shouldn't be making less than minimum wage. Erla Phillips, a ride-hail driver and vice president of the Rideshare Drivers Association of Ontario, says... Rideshare drivers in Toronto are making just $6.37 an hour. Uber says, au contraire, it's more than $33 an hour. Yes, if you're talking about the engaged time. I, as a young lad, spent some time in a summer delivering bags of salt, not for Rupert Salt, who, by the way, great partner of this radio station. It was for a different company way back when. And I got paid by the bag by the bag delivered, but my route included areas out in Wellington County, Fergus, Alora, and you can imagine while driving for 40 minutes or so, you're not dropping off any bags and making your per bag rate. My dad said, you should ask your boss for a little bit, you know, while you're driving, can I get an hourly wage? The boss said, nope, you can't, but you can get paid for every bag you drop off, but I can't drop them off while I'm driving. And I spent considerable time and I, by the way i just moved on to another job such were the times back in the 1980s where you, i guess you could just do that and i also worked as a delivery driver here in town not a rideshare driver but a delivery driver paid my way or helped to pay my way through post-secondary and we were busy enough that i felt like i made pretty good money 
overall, but also only getting paid for engaged time. Anyway, those are my little experiences with something similar. Let's go to the phones. Anne, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Um, The only experience so far I've had with Uber is last year, my husband and I spent the night in Toronto and we decided not that he didn't want to drive to the Rogers Jays game for his birthday. We decided to use one of them and we would do that again. It was definitely a good service. Yeah, and I said before that I've never taken one. I know it's obviously wildly popular. It's just interesting to me how the companies, the Ubers, the Lyfts, etc., make a small fortune here, and the drivers are saying they're definitely not. George, what say you? Yeah, Mike, definitely, 100%. As you know, my family and I, we were in Portugal last year back in May, and we used Uber a lot. Mike, can you guess why we use Uber a lot? Convenience? Convenience and cheap. Ah. I thought to myself, how are these guys making money? Because I know Uber is going to want their share. We would be paying only three, four euros per ride, and we'd be going for a good ride. So we always gave them a good tip, but it always made me wonder, how much is Uber cutting from this, leaving these guys with what your guest was saying, six, seven dollars an hour at the end of the day? Yeah, it's really interesting, George. Thanks for the call. And when you talk about tipping well, it reminds me of another industry where we've talked about let's just get a minimum wage so that their job is not dependent on tips for service, which, of course, speaks to the restaurant and hospitality industry. Paul, good morning. Morning. How are you doing? Good. I think uh, we may have talked the other day about uh, my experiences uh, in the taxi business, the legal taxi business in uh, back when I lived in Hamilton, just about every city has a taxi bylaw that regulates, you know, how much uh, they charge per mile, how much per minute, everything else. Uh, Uber comes along and they say, um, we aren't subject to these laws. Uber is just a criminal organization that says we don't have to obey because we are not a taxi business, we are a ride-sharing business. Well, if they're a ride-sharing business, let the driver pay his share of the uh, of the fees. You know, it's it's no different from a taxi. They just call it something different and say that they are not subject to laws of the wherever they happen to be operating. Uh, in the taxi business, yes, you can be sitting for a long time. There are certain times when you're going to be busy, the bar rushes. Uh, um, I, I hate to say it, but uh, welfare check weekend back when I lived in Hamilton, that's when the taxis were really busy. A lot of the times the taxi drivers would be sitting just like the Uber drivers are and not making any money. They may sit out there for a 12-hour shift and only make 50 bucks for the uh, the entire shift. That's the way it is. That's the nature of the business. So for anybody out there considering calling an Uber, call a legal taxi operation instead. All right, Paul. Appreciate the call and the thoughts. It is an interesting point on running afoul or, frankly, ignoring local regulations, right? And there's been a big battle even here on that front because Uber came in. We're a ride-sharing service. They disrupted things like we like to talk about in that sort of industry of being disruptors. But 
Uh, I hear where Paul is coming from, for sure. Play by the same rules. We'll take a break, come back with more of your calls. Are Uber drivers being legislated into poverty? This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Well, Dave and Zafari, I'm sorry you couldn't stick around, but that's good news for John, who waits on the line. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Good morning, John. Uh, Good morning, Mike. How how are you doing? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, First, I want to say that I appreciate everyone down there, and I I appreciate the work that you guys do. Oh, thank you very much. That means a lot these days. I really do appreciate that. No worries. Um... I'm glad that all the retro workers are are uniting, but I think they're tackling the issue from the wrong angle. Like uh, they're going after, frankly, international companies with a lot of money to throw out throw out a problem. I think what they should be doing is uniting together, pulling their money whatever they can, and working with universities to create a new platform. Because the only way they're going to change is if they have competition. You know. You know, it's a really interesting point, John, and and I thank you for sharing it. So create the competition. I. I had to ask Erla Phillips, who's the vice president of the Ontario Rideshare Association, the question of just that, like, why even do the job? Because I would think that obviously not being able to attract workers because the business model doesn't pay those workers enough would also be an impact. If the company has no workers, the company makes no money. John takes it a step further or looks at it from a different angle and says, hey, get working with, you know, Places like the University of Waterloo, where more than one app has been developed over the years, and say, hey, let's create something different and give some competition to the Ubers and the Lyfts of the world. Maybe that's another avenue here. It is a difficult spot, though, to be sure. The rideshare companies say our drivers are making more than 33 bucks an hour. The drivers themselves say, well, yeah, maybe for engaged time, but what about all the time in between the rides? And when you factor all the time in, we're making barely $6.30 an hour, which is well below minimum wage standards. All right, we're going to get you an update from the City News Center. And then following along an email I received a couple of weeks back from one of you and connecting to yesterday's Valentine's Day, let's have a little competition. I'll even keep track of your responses, and we will determine during the flip side in the next 30 minutes. The very best chocolate bar in the world is... Yeah, we're digging deep today. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. All right, Jonathan, I love you. I love seeing you around the rink at Kitchener Rangers games, but you are starting this segment on the wrong foot, my friend. Jonathan sends an email to Mike at 570news.com. Hey, Mike, did you know Dollarama sells chocolate bars for only 89 cents and they have basically any kind you want? But what I usually go for is the knockoff version of Mars and Snickers. Not only do Meteor slash Mars and Titan slash Snickers bars only cost 50 cents, they have two bars in one pack. So you're basically only paying 25 cents per bar. It can be a little bit too easy to get carried away with prices like that, though. Jonathan, 
Again, I love you. But there will be no substitutes. I am not going to stand for the meteor and Titan bar being anywhere near this conversation about the best chocolate bar, okay? That's how seriously I take my sweets. Go down that road with me and your happy crappy over there. It's funny because I thought about this particular topic as I reflected back on a random conversation. And I can tell you that random conversation happened on February the 5th when I admitted to you not for the first time that I have a real problem when it comes to sweets. I always have. When chocolate bars were 50 cents a piece, I used to go to the store at lunch and buy four of them and proceed to eat them through the afternoon when I was at elementary school. I remember sitting in Mrs. Howe's grade 7 class with the chocolate bars in my desk and I would be nibbling away four per day. So Kelly sent me an email to Mike at 570news.com. Much like Jonathan, Kelly's good buddy. He knows a thing or two. He says, Walmart has all the regular-sized chocolate bars at 98 cents. Oh, I went to the Walmart that day. I don't go to Walmart often. There were a number of chocolate bars for 98 cents, but there was not the Crunchy Bar, which has become my number one with a bullet go-to absolute favorite chocolate bar right now. And my beloved got me not one, not two, but three crunchy chocolate bars yesterday with my Valentine's card. That's right. And did I bring them to the studio to eat them during the show today like I used to with those chocolate bars when I was a kid? No. But I'm going to eat them. Believe you me. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. You know, it occurs to me, Devin, that I spend far too much time thinking about you because earlier today... I think I remembered correctly that you don't drink coffee, do you? No, I do not. So you're such a weirdo. So I (laughs) thought then, when I thought of that, I thought, I'll bet you this guy doesn't even eat chocolate bars. Not uh, a a bunch, no. Devin, like, how is it that we're even friends? How? (laughs) Well, the problem is I will inhale chocolate bars. Okay. So I need to prevent myself. You have way more willpower and self-control than I do. Because I, I do too. Like, I could still do it. Like, I could have crushed all three of those crunchy bars yesterday. It was everything in my power to not do that. Yeah, and, like, I, I would fail. I know I would fail. I would... <laughs> Set up for failure. Yeah, just immediately eat all of them. And I don't need that. I, I'm not my younger self anymore. I can't handle just crushing chocolate bars like a machine. I get you. I regret it. I get the tummy troubles afterwards, but I'm like, too bad. I love the sweet stuff. <laughs> it is worth it in exactly that moment. In that, mo- exactly. In that moment, in exactly it's so that moment. worth it. So if you were going to fall off the proverbial wagon, what bar would you reach for? I'm a sucker for Snickers. Snickers. That's yeah. a pretty common one. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to go wrong with a good Snickers, you know? It satisfies, right? Yeah, that, that's what they say. And if you're hungry, you're not yourself. Is that how it works? Yeah. yeah. You're not yourself when you're Yep. Yeah. Okay. A Snickers vote for uh, Devin. Look, I'm going to reach over here. I just got to get my pad of paper because I keep my pad of paper because I'm always holding a pen that I rarely write with anymore. We're going to keep track here, okay? So we've got a Snickers vote from Devin. You know I'm crunchy all the way, and I'm sorry to Jonathan, but I am not. I'm not accepting any of your knockoff crap. No, this is real chocolate bars, okay? (laughs) So we want to determine in the next 20 minutes... What is the best chocolate bar of all time? 519-570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5757. Steve, what do you got? Okay, so the 
best chocolate bar I don't even think they make here in Canada anymore. You can still get them in England, and English chocolate is just far better than anything we get in Canada. You're right about that. Like Cadbury's, like Cadbury's chocolate in England is two totally different things. But yep. All that said, I agree, Crunchy's good, Snickers is good, but top of the best bar has got to be Cadbury's Fruit and Nut Bar, which is just, I don't know if that class is still as a chocolate bar. It's not kind of this, they're a little more expensive, but... Um, other than that, if I had a choice, it would be the good old Big Turk or the old Cadbury's Flake. No, uh, hang on. The Big Turk, Steve? No. Come on. No way. No, I, I'm almost ready to hang up. Oh, come on. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call. The phone quality wasn't the best. But Steve, if you didn't pick it up, uh, made a great point. And this came up in the Farwell household the other day because my beloved got tired of me and our daughter looking around for, you know, the snacks that we probably should stay away from, especially me. And she brought home just a bunch of assorted chocolates. And some of it was Cadbury's dairy milk. And when we were enjoying a few squares the other night, my beloved said, and rightly so, Cadbury makes the best. Steve pointed out that the Cadbury chocolate here and the Cadbury chocolate in England are two completely different things. Absolutely right, and, and Cadbury's pretty darn good. Although, I'll give a shout-out to our local companies, Reed's, right? Uh, bars in Stratford and Esta chocolates are pretty darn fantastic, all local. But Cadbury's pretty good, and Steve's favorite was Cadbury Fruit and not the Cadbury Flake is pretty good, and you can get them at Brady's Meats. Rob Brady still keeps a few of those around. I find them from time to time. All right, let's continue along. Walter, what are you going to throw into the best chocolate bar ever conversation? Well, I have to agree with you, Mike, on the crunchy. Yeah, buddy. Two votes for the crunchy now. Yeah. Now, now um, I remember when I was a kid, I'd have a quarter on me. Chocolate bars costed 10 cents then. Oh, uh, Walter, you're we killing went, me. Yeah, we we would go in and, and we buy two chocolate bars, one for me and my buddy, and the candies at the time were three for a penny. So we get two chocolate bars and fifteen candies of it for a quarter. <laughs> it, was, it was beautiful. I love it, Walter. That's fantastic. And just so we're clear, we're not going to mix up the crunchy with the crispy crunch, right? Two different bars. The crunchy is the one with the sponge toffee, and it's a Cadbury bar. The the crispy crunch, whatever. I'm not a huge fan. It's got chocolate coating on it. But anyway, that I could go on and on. But the the story about the three candies for a penny, there were penny candies when I was a kid. And we had a convenience store in the neighborhood, the, the old corner stores. We could go there, and we were allowed to buy so many and got them in a little paper bag. And my mom had a deal with the owner of that store. Don't ever let Mikey buy, well, she always called me Michael, more than 25. He can have 25 penny candies. Don't you sell them anymore, even if he's got another 25 cents. Make sure he only gets the allotted amount. Uh, James, good morning. Morning, Farwell. Hey, JB. Um, it's a toss-up for me okay. between uh, between the Wonder Bar. Wonder Bar is excellent. Caramel and peanut butter, can't go wrong. Yep. And uh, and the Nestle Crunch Bar. So you, oh, no, wait, that's the blue wrapper. Yeah, yeah. That's the blue wrapper, that's the one with the little Rice Krispies. Yep, yep, not bad. Good choices. I can't argue with them. They're pretty perfect. Thanks, James. Appreciate the call. I am such a fan of all things sweet and chocolatey that I go from bar to bar. And up until I rediscovered, kind of accidentally, the Crunchy Bar, which is now my number one with a bullet, I would have told you my favorite, best thing going, was the Wonder Bar. Excellent choice by James. Randy, what say you? Well, 
Crunchy Bar is a good one, I have to admit. But the problem with it is, is it does get stuck in your teeth because of the, the coffee. <laughs> yes, but it does. Three Musketeers and Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, hands down, tie. Three Musketeers, eh? That's a little boring, isn't it? No, melts in your mouth. <laughs> All right, Randy, I appreciate the call. He just wants it, the melt in the mouth, and you're not going to have the sponge toffee stuck in your teeth. Peanut Butter Cups pretty solid as well you you can eat them in a certain way that you just leave the outside after you start into the circle right and that's pretty good chocolate around there we'll continue our quest for the best chocolate bar in the world it's the flip side on the mike farwell show city news 570 and rogers tv I love the email from Mark to Mike at 570news.com. The best choice for a chocolate bar is the same as my favorite beer. The next one. Well played, sir. Robert, who produces things on the TV side of this show, is talking about more knockoff chocolate bars. I will have none of it. Some things, it's like toilet paper, right? You don't buy the cheap stuff. It's one thing that you will splurge on, always buy the name brand, etc. You don't compromise. I'm sorry. You don't compromise on chocolate bars. And frankly, you can take your buck of beer and stuff it in your buck of beer because you don't compromise on beer either. But these are the rules I live by in my life, and I get pretty stubborn about it. We're trying to determine today on the flip side. I'm kidding. Don't stick your buck of beer anywhere except enjoy it, please. I'm just making a little joke. Um, we're trying to determine today on the flip side the best chocolate bar of all time. Let's go back to the phones. Jesse, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Uh, my husband wants me to throw in that uh, the Nestle uh, Crunch. The Nestle Crunch. So that's two votes for the Crunch. Interesting. Yes, and I would throw my hat in that too. But you do not know pain until you get a dietary carry restriction that removes ninety percent of all chocolate bars from you. So I stick with plain chocolate, like the Mirage or Arrow. Oh, the Mirage. That's solid. I like that. Well, I said solid, but really not. Mirage and Arrow have all that air in them. Yes. So wait a minute. You have a dietary you have a dietary restriction that means some chocolate bars are off limits. I have celiac disease, so I can't have anything with gluten, and Uh-oh. a lot of cereals have gluten. Oh, I feel for you, Jesse. I feel Thank for you. you. Well, I'm glad the Arrow and Mirage work out, though. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. We've got two votes for the Crunchy, two votes for the Nestle Crunch, and via email, following up on Stephen's call earlier, we have two votes for the Big Turk. Y'all are a bunch of weirdos. Rick, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. One comment, Mike. I know what your favorite chocolate bar is. What you need to do is you need to try Picard. They have chocolate-covered sponge toffee out there, and I don't know what it is, but it is amazing. Okay. You know what? You had me at Picard's because that is a great spot. (laughs) but you're not going to like this. I'm going to vote for the Big Turk. You are not. Rick, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Why? Because it's a great chocolate bar. Yeah, I'm done with you. I just hung up on Rick. He said he, had, he was going so well talking about Picard's, and then he ends up with the Big Turk. The Big Turk is now leading the way. I'll tell you what. I'm not even going to do the next hour if the Big Turk wins this bet or wins this little uh, competition. There's not a chance that the Big Turk is the greatest chocolate bar ever. Is it? Wendy, good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Good. I like peanut butter cups. That is a great choice, and we'll put down now two for the peanut butter cups. And I also like um, President's Choice dark chocolate, but it can't have anything in it because I really don't want nuts in it. I'm allergic to some nuts, and 
I know it's the walnuts, but I just don't want nuts in my chocolate bar. You know what? And you don't want anything to get in the way of the chocolate delivery system. Fair enough. Joe, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Mike? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Uh, Very good. First time caller. Oh, you know I love my first time callers. (laughs) I got to get this for you. Yes! Yes! I listen to you every day and uh, really enjoy it. But, uh, yeah, my wife, uh, something's wrong with her, too. She likes the Big Turk. Something's wrong there. There's something uh, definitely wrong there. Yeah, yeah, but I still love her. i got to go home to her every day. boy. But uh, me, I, I, I like, I, I haven't seen this in a long time, but it used to be Sweet Marie chocolate bars. Heck, yeah. I was on that bandwagon for a while, too. I, yeah, but I can't find them anymore. So now it's uh, the O. Henry bar. O. Henry's a solid choice. And, you know, the Sweet Marie was a lot like the uh, Mr. Big, but a little bit better. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Anyhow, have a good one. Thanks, Joe. Really appreciate the call, the first-time call, and enjoying the show. I'm glad you do. Phil, over to you. The best chocolate bar in the world is? The Cadbury Caramel. Oh, you know, I can't believe nobody has said that one yet. Also, an excellent choice. And I'll tell you, on the other end of the spectrum, the worst one the Big Turk. Eat more. Oh, the eat more. Well, but the, here's the good thing about the eat more. Yeah. It took a while to eat, so you felt like you had it for longer. It's like they took molasses and dragged it through the bottom of the birdcage. <laughs> and then the next day, it sticks to your fur. Well said, sir. Well said. I'll give you a vote for the caramel bar. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day in beautiful Stratford. Brian, good morning. Hi, Mike. Hey, Brian. You're going to hate me. Don't you dare. I got it, bro. Are you serious? Okay, so I I do like the Big Turk, and the reason there's no way my madness. It is the lowest fat of all chocolate bars. Oh, please! You you're watching your girlish figure on a chocolate bar. Like again, that's one of those times you just go for it, pal. Every little bit helps. You are nuts. But I will qualify my answer. Yeah. If if my hand touches the peanut butter cups first, I'm picking the peanut butter cups. Okay, but the Big Turk, so, but <laughs> I'm trying I, to figure. I have to, if, if they were both side by side and there was one left of each, I'd, I'd, I would take the Big Turk. Oh, be I if I count Joe's wife's vote, that's five for the Big Turk. I am shocked by this. It's a bad day for Mike. You know, and the other thing <laughs> that I really do like that you're probably going to hate me for. What's that? I love Glossette Raisins. Okay, that's it. I'm done. I just hung up on Brian now, too. Like, what? Why, why do you make me do this? Why do you make me do this? I can't believe that we have landed on the Big Turk as the best chocolate bar in the world. In my opinion, that sucked. This is the flip side on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570, and Rogers TV. Well, you know, I, I just got to be honest with you. Like, I come to work... Every day, I get here early to prepare a good show for you. I work really hard at that. And I've never been more disappointed by you than I, I am today. I I don't even know who I'm talking to anymore. Like, I thought we were tight. I thought we were a family. And then you go and big Turk me on the best chocolate bar in the world. I, I just, I don't know. Ryan, can, can you salvage this for me? Can you help out a little bit? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm furious, Mike. I am too. Um Big Turk is just an attempt to make a poor candy palatable. With Abs- chocolate. Absolutely true. So I'm, I'm partial to the Snickers myself. Not and, bad. Um, especially when I'm in the States, but uh, here in Canada, I think i got to go with O'Henry. Great choices all around, Ryan. You can stay as a listener of the show. 
The rest of you big Turks are a bunch of big Turks. I, big Turk wins the uh, flip side race as the best chocolate bar. Uh, I got to race out of here, at least for Rogers TV Cable 20. They are done for the day. Ro- uh, Robert, the entire team, thank you for producing the TV side of this show. We're going to get a break, an update from the City News Center, and then we're going to open up the phone lines for the 12 o'clock talkback hour. And I want to talk about the language of our leaders and maybe a little bit more with you in the next 60 minutes. Stay with us. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and so long, Rogers TV. Take out the papers and the trash. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that death fly with that broom. Get all that garbage outside. Or you don't go out Friday night. Don't go back. I just want you to know that I am doing this final hour today under protest. I'm doing this hour under protest because... You have disappointed me that much. Like, I hope you're proud of yourself. I can hear my father's voice in my ears now from decades ago. I hope you're proud of yourself, young man. You have disappointed me so much. I thought that for sure I might, at minimum, find a new chocolate bar to explore in our last half hour during the flip side with the question is, or with the question of, what is the greatest chocolate bar of all time? And Big Turk won the little contest going away. It wasn't even close. And so, I am very disappointed in you, and I'm doing this last hour under protest. Here's something I thought might be a place to start. I'm curious, and we all know that words matter. We've been reminded of this an awful lot in recent times. And sometimes I think we need to take a breath when it comes to that, and not let our chaps get as chafed as we do over the things that are said or the things that we hear. But I will accept that there is responsibility that comes with certain roles in a community, in a country. And because of that responsibility, we ought to be a little more careful sometimes. And I will include myself in that who has been chastised for using ain't on the air, I could probably use it less. And sometimes I do utter things like, what the H-E double hockey sticks, but I use the word. You better be darn sure, except I don't say darn. And I admit to being pissed off from time to time. So the language gets a little bit colorful, I suppose. And so I am acknowledging that. And recognizing that maybe I have to do better because I do have the privilege of pushing this button every day that says on and using this microphone to talk to you. But there were a couple of examples in the last 24 hours that I thought I'd share with you as we begin this 12 o'clock talkback hour. One of them occurred during question period in our House of Commons yesterday. And the leader of the federal conservatives was reprimanded gently by Greg Fergus, the Speaker of the House. Here's the exchange. The Prime Minister's arrive scam is now 
flailing out of control. Today, revelations from a Joël Denis Bellevance that one Arrive Scan company received a quarter of a billion dollars in contracts. Let's get this straight. It's a company with four employees headquartered in the basement of a tiny cottage. They got IT contracts even though they admit they do no IT work. A quarter of a billion dollars? WTF. I'm going to ask... We are dangerously close uh, to crossing the line uh, in terms of what is considered parliamentary language. That is a uh, that is a an abbreviation which is uh, commonly used with language which which is which is commonly understood not to be parliamentary. I'm going to. I'm going to ask the honourable uh, uh, opposition leader, please, to uh, to withdraw that that comment and to use uh, parliamentary language, please. Where's the funds? I appreciate that the, uh, the Leader of the Opposition uh, had clarified that comment. I'm going to ask all members to not use the acronym, because the acronym in the minds of Canadians clearly would be considered unparliamentary language, and to use the full words. So, full points, like full marks for cleverness there, right? WTF, where's the funds? But perhaps... If I was being a little bit on the persnickety side, I would ask the honorable leader of the opposition to put it all together. And instead of allowing the WTF to hang and let us jump to exactly the conclusion that Speaker Fergus suggested we would jump to, said right away, I have only one question about a Rive scam. WTF, where's the funds? I think you still get the point across. Again, maybe, just maybe, I'm letting my chaps get a little too chafed from that. But these are our elected representatives in our highest office in the country. So we had that little exchange during question period yesterday. And then we had this story from Cambridge Today following uh, what I would describe as a town hall slash full court PR press by Conestoga College and its president, John Tibbetts, sharing a report that talks about the impact of the college in the community in very glowing terms. And I think we can understand why this town hall would be held at a time like this when post-secondary sector is under increasing scrutiny for the number of international students being admitted and perhaps just looking at those international students as dollar signs. And during that town hall meeting, I will quote directly from the story at Cambridge Today. The president of Sioux College up in the Sioux, David Orazietti, has said, how do you take 20,000 students into your community and have housing for them, services and everything they need without creating chaos? That question being asked of 
Conestoga College, which in fact last year admitted 30,000 more than international students. And Conestoga College President John Tibbetts took exception to these allegations and fired back at Orazietti, saying he's only been on the job for a few months and he needs to learn to, quote, shut his mouth. And then the quote goes on. Like Orazietti, why are his GD students in Toronto? Why not up there? Talk about a whore. I'm just quoting from the president of Conestoga College. I mean, he's taking a percentage of the profits of an operation. I can't stand the guy, by the way. There's the leader of a college in Ontario and a very esteemed institution right here in the region of Waterloo. There's the leader of our federal opposition. And here we are talking back to one another during the 12 o'clock talkback hour. This is the Mike Farwell Show. Get right to your calls on City News 570. All right, just give us a call at 519-570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5715. Let's have a chat. Grant, good afternoon. Good afternoon there, Mr. Mikey. Mr. Granty. Uh, I'm going to touch on a bunch of things, and I'll make it very quick. Uh, Crunchy and the... And the other one that has the uh, Rice Krispies in it. Yeah, they're both. The Crunchy and the Crunch. Gotcha. Okay. And then with that, a glove pass. The Kingston game, the last. Uh, I think you're thinking of the Ottawa game where the Rangers got a penalty in the final minute for a glove over the puck in the faceoff circle. No, it was not. It was a missed call by the officials. Bad, bad. It happens. And then. Did you at all watch W five? Because they were they they did a story on uh, Air Canada Airlines and uh, people trying to get money. Uh, they have sixty thousand claims, and it takes about a year and a half in order for people to get their money. And I would think if it takes that, if they if it takes that long, and they got so many. It's going to be even longer than a year and a half to either get your money or you don't get any money back from them. I think you're probably right about that. I missed that story on W5, and I'm sorry that W5 is going to be taken away from you with the cuts recently announced at our friends at Bell Media. Kyle, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, the Reese's peanut butter cup is the ultimate chocolate. Bar. It's pretty good. You get, it's hard to argue with chocolate and peanut butter together. You can't. Um, I'm going to go to the parliamentary thing. I have no problem with uh, Pierre Polyev saying what the farewell. Oh, no, sorry, what the funds. I thought he said what the farewell. Very clever. Very clever. Good job by you. Hey, but you know what, though? No, so what? Honestly, if this is, if this is really the, the, if this is the biggest issue we have is somebody making a statement about WTF, where's the funds? What about all the data that got collected through this? Who who has my data for for the Arrive Can app? That's a very like, good question. And like I just I, I just want to be clear. I'm not yeah. trying to make a mountain out of a molehill here and say it's a huge deal. I'm just quest I'm just asking the question. I'm putting it out there for consideration about no, the language that we use. I don't I think I think there's a harsher words that should not be set in parliamentary, but he didn't say the actual thing. He said an acronym. Well, I know that, but we all know what it stands for, so technically he said it, right? I guess technically he did, but I think, I don't know, Mike, I think it depends on what side of the political spectrum. Probably does. Probably does. If you're conservative, 
you're obviously going to say, well, it's not a big issue, but if you're local, you're going to make, you know, like you said, a mountain or a molehill out of a mountain or whatever the saying goes, right? Yep. But anyways, I'm off to the mountains tomorrow, so have a wonderful long weekend. I'm heading up to Tremblant for skiing, and I won't be back till Wednesday. So have a fun show, Mike, and talk to you next week, my friend. Thanks, Kyle. Long weekend for who? I'm working all weekend. Three hockey games in four in four days, Friday, Sunday, Monday. But that's good. It is the family day weekend coming up. I love it. All right, let's continue. The 12 o'clock talk back. Sean, good afternoon. Oh, my goodness. I, I feel your pain from before lunch. I still, we need to call it the big jerk. I mean, what? I mean, WTF. Why would that be the best? You want a good chocolate bar? You want something new? Try something called a Yorkie bar. A who? A Yorkie bar? A Yorkie bar. Sheer chocolate. It was created by Roundtree originally. It was named after the city in which it was created, York. It's now marketed by Nestle. Ironically, the same people that are now marketing the big jerk. Uh, you can probably find it in the import section in Zayers. You might have to go to a British bakery to get it. But it's excellent. And now the next point, John Tibbetts. Okay, I went to Conestoga, and uh, I'm an alumni. I am sort of disappointed in his language. Okay, he had some good points, but the language, come on now. Uh, where is your gravitas, man? All right, Sean, appreciate the call. You know we struck a chord in the previous segment when still 20 minutes later into the next segment, people are still talking about their favorite chocolate bars. And, hey, I'm here for it. You know I love me some chocolate. I was just really disappointed that the winner of our little competition for the best chocolate bar turned out to be Big Turk. Like, it just makes zero sense to me. Uh, I think it's a it's a fair point on the gravitas that was lacking in the Conestoga College Town Hall this week. Look, again, let's not kid ourselves here, okay? This is very much with all the scrutiny on international students, the impact that there is in a community where tens of thousands of students are being admitted annually without perhaps the infrastructure in place and that includes enough transit buses get jam packed i mean we could just run down the list and a cap being introduced by the federal government what conestoga college is doing is probably understandable but please understand it for what it is it is a full court public relations press that's what they're doing we'll continue the 12 o'clock talk back hour this is the mike farwell show on city news 570 Well, if it's a talkback hour, we better keep on talking. Right back to the phones we go. Good afternoon, George. Good afternoon. I wanted to let you know, as a kid, I loved Mr. Big. But as an adult, I have to stick with the Hershey with the almonds. I just can't have that much sugar anymore. (laughs) That's fair. I get it. I get it. I want to talk to you about the Rangers. I'm still a little bit concerned. I know they can do it, but I'm still a little bit concerned about the funk they're in. I hope they find their game, they find their legs, and they can get back to what they were doing in December, I think it was. Yeah, f- frankly, George, I would say they were doing it from the beginning of the season, last week of September, right through Christmas, and then hit a bit of a speed wobble there in January. But a nice win the other night, and hopefully that's the sign of a turnaround. Sure. Thanks, George. Appreciate it. Don't worry too much about the Kitchener Rangers. Everybody has to go through bumps along the road unless of course you're the team that plays down the 401 and then for whatever reason you don't seem to be able to lose last regulation loss for that team was back on december the 10th but we'll we'll just leave that over there continuing the 12 o'clock talk back hour curtis good afternoon 
Good afternoon. Just wondering if you might know how long Olivia Chow is going to say she inherited this mess. Olivia Chow, how is she going to say she inherited this mess? How long is she going to keep saying she inherited the mess of Toronto? Well, is this going to be a four-year term of inheritance? You know, when she had, when she takes no responsibility of being on council, she helped create that mess. Just a thought. Curtis, thank you for that thought. You know, you, you touch on something there. Really interesting. And look, it's it's hard to be this close to Toronto. We almost literally live in its shadow. But it's an interesting point. And what Curtis says makes me think about the budget deliberations that have been happening around here. And Cambridge, for example, very specifically talked about an infrastructure levy, another 1.5% on the budget that would help them catch up or keep up with infrastructure that has been underfunded in years past. And with all of my screaming and stomping about what I thought to be an out-of-touch budget in Waterloo, I heard some of the same things. We have underfunded in the past. So it's in another way saying we've inherited where we are at today. I, I think it's a fair point, Curtis. And I, I would just submit to you, I'll say again, and I've, I've said many times, taxes, I, I, I'm not the, you know, all taxes are evil, stomp, stomp, scream, scream guy. I, I understand that taxes are necessary investments and important investments in our community. But it seems to be that the party line today is, well, they underfunded it before, so we have to catch up on all that funding now. And a lot of councils seem to be moving very aggressively in that direction. And and I wonder, and, and frankly, is there enough oversight? Is there enough noise being made? Are enough people engaged in the process to keep councils accountable? I'm not sure there is anymore because I've been very disappointed for the most part with budgets that have been approved of late. Woolwich just approved a more than 8% increase in the township. That is a spicy meatball. And there's another underreported point, I would say, about the Cambridge budget just passed. I'll tell you about that coming up. I'll report it as loudly as I can because I'm pretty concerned about it. We'll get to that right after this update from the City News Center. And, of course, continue with your calls on the 12 o'clock talkback hour. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 5-7. The 12 o'clock talk back hour works like this. We keep the phone lines open and you give us a call and you get to steer the conversation. 519-570-2545. Star 570. 1-800-570-5715. Curtis called just before that news update and got me thinking. Curtis asked for how long Olivia Chow, the new mayor of Toronto, will be blaming her predecessors for the financial situation that the city is in. And it made me think about a narrative, I think it would be fair to say, that has emerged here in the region of Waterloo when it comes to tax increases and the burden that we are facing today because things have been underfunded in the past. So it's another way of saying the same thing, right? Well, if the other guys had funded appropriately, we wouldn't have to be 
pouring more into it today to kind of catch up. And look, when it comes to our infrastructure, I'm a big believer in having nice things around a city. It makes us all feel better about being a part of it. When we get into things that might be seen more as wants as opposed to needs, and we're increasing taxes to fund those at the same time we're playing some catch-up, that's where I'm having a hard time right now, especially in these economic times. Which brings me around to the budget in Cambridge. And you probably heard yesterday, right here on City News 570, that the tax increase in Cambridge came in under inflation at 2.58%. And I'm here to tell you, in no uncertain terms, that that is a pile of horse pucky. The tax increase in Cambridge was not 2.58%. The tax increase in Cambridge was 7.17%, which is more than double the current rate of inflation. 7.17%. So just be aware of that, my friends in Cambridge, that your tax increase is not 2.58%. What's most concerning to me about this, over and above the fact you're more than double the rate of inflation with that increase in Cambridge. But what's most concerning to me about it is that the city itself, in its own media release after passing the budget, shared that figure of 2.58%. That's the city's own figure from its own media release. I've covered a lot of budgets in this community over the years. And I can tell you that we have never reported numbers in that way. Yes, the 2.58% is the city's portion, if you will, but then there is the school board portion, the regional portion, etc. And all of our budgets have always been presented that way as a sum total, not a much smaller municipal total. If you were to, just for comparison, if you were to report the numbers that way, then Kitchener's increase would have been 1.2%. So I'm curious as to why Cambridge chose to share the information from its own media release in this way. And it makes me want to drive home the point, this is why we can't keep cutting local media. I used to sit in council chambers as one of four reporters covering meetings. Four! I don't know that anybody shows up now at all. A lot of things are caught up with virtually. But the increase in Cambridge is not 2.58%. Don't let the city of Cambridge fool you. And I don't know why it is trying to fool you. That's my only conclusion from Cambridge itself saying the increase was 2.58%. It's not. It's 7.17%. And the city of Cambridge needs to be clear on that. I don't know why it's chosen to not be. I just wanted to share that with you so you were aware. Please tell a friend. Let's go back to the phones. Terry, it's the 12 o'clock talk back hour. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Mike. Uh, just a quick thought here. Thank God for the Guelph Storm, or else the Rangers wouldn't have won in what? The New Year, yeah, wouldn't What do you got? No, not in the New Year. Settle down. Yeah, well, it had, it's games. been, yeah, 10 games, so that's not the whole New Year. Come on. Okay. 
Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. I come about half half of January and half of February. Terry. Anyway, don't make me come over there. Can you reach me that far? Yeah. 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 Can you reach thirty miles uh, west way? Anyway, Mike. Um, going back to this great chocolate bar debate, I don't eat much chocolate anymore. To be honest with you, I'll, I'll I'll buy a little bit of dark chocolate here and there. I've cut back so much. But as a kid, I hated Big Turk. I I, I hated my, my. I know people in my family loved it. But I couldn't stand it. I, I would take a bite and just throw it in the garbage. But you know what? Over the years, I've I grew accustomed to it. All it is is just a jujube uh, covered in chocolate. That's basically all it is. You like jujubes, then it's the chocolate bar for you. So I, I can understand why it won the uh, your uh, race there that you were having. I don't know why. Like this is two days in a row. You're just trying to make stuff up to get my goat, Terry. No, no. All you are. You're being a rabble rouser, eh? <laughs> you are disturbing the poop. I got you, pal. I know your type. Uh, so which 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 chocolate bar was your your favorite again? Crunchy. Crunchy, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I, my... used to, I, used, I used to like the crunch bar, the Nestle. Yeah, crunch. that was not bad, too. Yeah. That, was, that was a good one. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've given up all that. All, milk, all, all types of milk chocolate over the last couple of years. You're anyway, a good man. Mike, uh, it's a, it's a nice chatting with you, and uh, we'll talk to you again. I'm sure you will. Next time you want to antagonize me, right, Terry? That's okay. I'm here for it. I appreciate a good shot every now and again. We can trade them back and forth. With all of the responses we got on that greatest chocolate bar ever, I was thinking, because I have had a lifelong obsession with an adoration for chocolate, and most recently, my favorites have kind of changed Right, because I'm on the crunchy bar now, full full stop. But just before that, it was the Wonder Bar. Couldn't get enough of them. And just before that, it was the Kit Kat Chunky, which begs the question: Why the Kit Kat Chunky is so much better than the standard slash original Kit Kat? No idea. But the Kit Kat Chunky is a solid, solid chocolate bar. Anyway, I just had a colleague in here. Uh, I won't name names in case he doesn't want to be identified that way. But during the news update, and he was talking about having. We just randomly got onto quitting smoking. He had quit smoking. Three years now. Good for him. Really proud of him. And when Terry brings up how he's given up the chocolate as he gets a little bit older, I I will be the first to admit that at my age, like I really could probably use a lot less of the amount of sugar and candy that I consume. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you I'm at a point where it would be as difficult for me to go cold turkey on the chocolate as it was for my colleague to go cold turkey on the cigarettes, because I'll, I promise you this, every single time I finish a meal, I'm like, I need a little something sweet. Now I got to have something sweet. Even if it's one Werther's candy, when I finish a meal, where do I get my sweets? Yeah, I, I might have a little problem in that room, <laughs> in that department. Take a break. Come back with more of your 12 o'clock talk back hour. I've got Tom on the line, and there is a line for you if you'd like to be a part of the conversation. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Numbers to reach us here on the Talk Back Hour, 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Tom, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, First time caller, uh, Nick's buddy from Maryhill here. Nick's buddy from Maryhill, first time caller. Yes! 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 Welcome aboard, Tommy. Hey, thank you. Uh, (laughs) 
hands down, Big Turk. Stop. What, what, you want to be a first-time caller and bring that happy crappy onto my show? Hey, my brother and a good friend of mine, same thing. Man. And, you know, today's my birthday. Happy birthday. My daughter will probably show up with a box for me, and uh, I'm going to have one this afternoon. You're going to, wait, does your daughter not love you, Tom? Oh, yeah, that's why she's bringing it. Oh, my goodness gracious. All right. <laughs> Is that all, really, that's it? That's it. That's like a first-time caller, that's all you're bringing to this show. Yep. <laughs> All right, Tom. You know, usually with first-time callers, I say, don't be a stranger. Be a second-time caller. Tom, I don't care if you ever call again. How about that? I only kid you because I love you. That's not nice to do to a first-time caller, but honest to goodness. I got a text from uh, my old buddy, and still buddy, producer Polly, who said, Big Turks are awesome, and they're also a local creation, smiles and chuckles. I don't know that they were actually invented here, perhaps produced. But since Polly brought up smiles and chuckles, uh, if you missed it on the weekend, and I, I must admit to having a particular affinity for this piece of local history, but Rich Mills in the Waterloo Region Records flash from the past on the weekend had a story about the old smiles and chuckles. My family moved into that neighborhood uh, when I was a kid. My parents are still in that neighborhood. And Smiles and Chuckles was basically the name for the empty lot that was nearby our house because the candy factory had long been demolished. Well, maybe not long been, but had been demolished. So it was a place I could take my little BMX bike on this abandoned lot with some, you know, hilly terrain. I mean, not not big hills, like little bumps in it and stuff like that, but it was gravel. I, anyway, I had my own little, what I thought as a kid, it was like the greatest dirt bike track around. And I always was fascinated, again, tying into my lifelong obsession with and adoration for chocolate. Like, really? There was a candy factory right here? And it's gone now? Because, gosh, I could go for a box of turtles. Also, smiles and chuckles. A great little piece of our local history, though, isn't it? We got the booze, we got the candy. We got the tires. What else do we need? Huh? We got the boots. We had everything we needed right here. If we had started some sort of protectionism about a century ago, just imagine. Just imagine. Franco sends an email to Mike at 570news.com. Uh, Mike, as I was listening, you mentioned how John Tibbetts, the president of Conestoga College, tried to give the president of Sioux College a dressing down tried to or actually did, Franco. I mean, you know, the president of Sioux College was wondering how you can bring 20,000 students into a community without creating chaos. And in fact, Conestoga College accepted 30,000 plus international students last year. And yes, John Tibbetts, uh, again, I wouldn't say necessarily tried, but went right back at the president of Sioux College and said, I don't even like the guy and, and called him an unsavory name and all kinds of things. Uh, But Franco's email goes on. So I wonder, just how did Conestoga College manage to finish their recent fiscal year with a $196 million surplus? I thought it was 106, but regardless, you're right. Asking for a friend, Franco writes in his email. Appreciate the email, Franco. Whether it was 196 or 106, it was north of $100 million, a surplus. And I think we can connect the dots as to how Conestoga College got there because we know the tuition paid by international students is double or even triple that 
of domestic students. And this pipeline was identified long ago by Conestoga College. And the college has made a lot of money off that pipeline. This is the 12 o'clock talk back hour on the Mike Farwell Show. You're listening to City News 570. Uh, What a great email from Jeff. Thanks very much. Writing to Mike at 570news.com. You know that Nutella? You can spread, you know, like peanut butter except chocolate hazelnut. Spread it on toast and stuff. Jeff shared with me that in the States, you can get a crunchy spread, like the crunchy chocolate bar, the greatest chocolate bar on earth. And he said, you know what you can't get? You can't get Big Turk spread. That's right, Jeff! You know what the good chocolate bars are. I don't understand this place anymore. Like, I, I, might, I might need a minute after the show today. 12 o'clock talk back hour continues. Over to you, Joe. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Mike. <clears throat> I'm going with uh, anything recent. Because uh, chocolate, peanut butter, and salt, what a combination. It's pretty solid, hard to argue. What a combo. So that's my vote, buddy. Have a good one. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. It's really difficult to argue. And if you remember the commercials back in the day, there was like some sort of collision between somebody eating chocolate and somebody eating peanut butter, and the chocolate ended up in the peanut butter. And the next thing you know, allegedly, we got Reese peanut butter cups. Rudy, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. Uh, you were just uh, mentioning the chocolate factory. I think it was called Smile and Chuckles. Smiles and Chuckles, indeed it was, on Weber Street at Cameron. Yeah, and... My, my, our family came to Kitchener in 65, and my mom worked, I think it was like 1966, and uh, I remember, because I, you know, I was only like seven years old then, and my parent, my mom would every once in a while bring back a box of turtles. Oh, yeah, they like the, and that's now, you want to talk legit chocolate candy, turtles that all the way. That was a big treat. That you, was a big treat. You, you bet it was. You bet it was. I don't know how long that place lasted, but I think shortly after that, my mom went somewhere else. But, yeah, that was awesome. Rudy, thanks for the call and the trip down memory lane. Uh, I'm, If I recall Rich Mills's story accurately, I believe it was 76 that the plant closed. It had been there several decades. It had started somewhere else in the city. I don't want to do I, – I won't do Rich's story justice. But, yes, the smiles and chuckles – chocolate slash candy factory was a going concern for many decades in the community and if i could just take that one step further and you could enjoy this nostalgia with me uh, one of the signature aromas in town right imagine when they were in full production how sweet that neighborhood would smell and then i'll take you out onto victoria street where weston's is and when they fire up those ovens and the bread is being baked It's one of the best smells in this town. And then I'll take you over to the Fairview Mall area and Dare Cookies. Oh, baby. Almost as good as the Smiles and Chuckles factory. We have had our share. I mean, as much as I enjoy a malted beverage, beer, Labatt's didn't exactly do it for me. There's something different about the smell of the beer being produced. But hey, another signature Waterloo County aroma. All right, our time is coming to an end for another day. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. I really appreciate all of the interaction, even though you have disappointed me so greatly with the Big Turk nonsense today. I hope we can do it again 
tomorrow. Among our conversations, we're going to be starting something that we had in the works and one of you even asked for it. Every Friday morning at 10, one of our municipal councillors and or mayors are going to join us for a little something we call council chambers. The mayor of North Dumfries gets it started tomorrow. So if you've got a question about North Dumfries, you can email me, mike at 570news.com. We'll ask Mayor Foxton when she joins us tomorrow. Our Friday for Roundtable, Living Retired, lots more. Right now it's off to the City News Centre for an update. My name is Mike Farwell. Bye for now.